You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. You should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting that. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because it's Tuesday. It's May 19th. It is. <laughs> it's May 19th, Tuesday. I just know that it's Tuesday. And when, you know, it's Tuesday, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. And that is why I'm so excited. Ta-da, I'm here. I am so happy uh, to be with you today and not with other people that I've been spending a lot of time with. Hi, mom. <laughs> no, not not my mom, but okay, um, but no. I, and I enjoy, you know, producing this show and putting it together. I just think that it makes me feel so incredible at the end of the day. And the people that we have on the show just kind of contribute to to that as well. So I love it. Um, Kate Blanchett, are you a fan? Um, I know of her. Or is this about her quote? <laughs> well, she recently did an interview with Variety mm-hmm. in which they took her quote out of context, I right, guess, right. and had, um, you know, the bisexuality then, quote, the bisexuality quote and that, you know, somewhere, somehow they 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 got from her comment that she had had actual sexual relationships with women. Well, and, and her original response was something to the effect of, are you asking if I've had relationships with women? Of course. Oh, do you mean sexual or something or not, but not sexual. And they apparently just left off that last part. It's kind of like, you know, having a quote, I did not kill my wife or something. (laughs) We just left off not. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Our bad. Right. Well, that created a media storm. I mean, you know, so many uh, people, especially lesbians and uh, LGBTQ people just went crazy over it. And, and, and uh, anyway, Kate Blanchett had to eventually clarify it for the world that she, in fact, has never licked a labia. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Cry, Mom. <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm glad I could share that with you. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Today, I think that, you know, we should focus a little bit on San Francisco. For those of you tuning in on the Progressive Voices Network, I know you're from everywhere in the world. But I think discussing San Francisco is important to the world right now as, I mean, I you know, as we know it, it is tech capital at this moment and a lot of innovation, a lot of new things happening out from this 
very area. But also when it comes to LGBT issues, San Francisco and its Pride celebration still has an international platform to discuss issues that affect our community. So today we'll talk to two guests who are being recognized by San Francisco Pride. Our first guest is Bello Cipriani. He is the author of Blind, a a memoir. It's a book detailing a horrific incident that left him blind. He is also this year's community grand marshal for San Francisco Pride. Let's welcome Bello to the program. Bello? Are yeah. you with us? Hey, hey. how's it going? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hey, John. Um, Hi, Bella. So, you know, it was interesting. I, I brought up your book, uh, you know, and I know you've been on the show before talking about your book. Uh, the the great thing, the first thing I should say is congratulations uh, for being selected as Community Grand Marshal. The important thing about your being Grand Marshal for this year is that you are, in fact, the first blind grand marshal that san francisco pride has ever recognized right yes definitely and you know the news is still you know a bit shocking to me even today you know i got the announcement a couple of weeks ago and even today i'm here talking to you it's pretty astonishing that you know um there's still been very little movement as far as having more visibility for people with um disabilities in the LGBT community. So, you know, just me being selected, it's a small, simple that things are slowly changing. So as a community grand marshal, especially for the folks who maybe are not in cities that even have pride parades, what do you do? What does that mean? Well, the grand marshals are people who are selected by the community, so it meant a lot to me to be selected by the pride board. Um, I was also nominated, you know, before that I was nominated to the ballot by, um, voted into by the, uh, just the public in general, but, you know, grand marshals are just people who stand out in the community, and so it made me feel wonderful that, you know, my work as a disability advocate and uh, someone who uh, pushes for inclusivity uh, was acknowledged by um, not just the Pride Board, but by the LGBT community at large. And, and I think it is particularly important that you're in this role of, of publicly talking about these things, and you are yourself a professional communicator. I mean, you're, you're good at writing and talking about things, which, you know, Frankly, not a lot of folks have that talent. Well, thank you for saying that. It means a lot to me, <laughs> me actually. <laughs> you just boosted my confidence by 10 points. I mean, around all over town, there's like a new sheriff in town or something. But, um, you know, it, thank you for saying that. Well, you know, um, I just kind of feel that, you know, I'm a millennial, and, you know, one of the reasons why I've been able to get my message out there was due to social media. You know, social media just really gave a voice to people who wouldn't have that. You know, I talked to people who were who've been blind longer than I have, and just 15, 10 years ago, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have, you know, Twitter and all those other platforms out there. And I think for me, those avenues have definitely been um, great ways to get my message out. Bello, and again, I said earlier that you've been on the show before, but that was when we were on conservative radio. I know, what was I thinking? It was like a self-hatred or something. But now that we're on the Progressive Voices Network, I'd love to go back and talk a little bit about your memoir, kind of what happened to you. Because I think that, you know, being you being open and talking about what happened to you also gives us, you know, very authentic dialogue that needs to take place, especially when you're talking about San Francisco Pride and in this month of celebration. Um, let's start by, yeah, what exactly did happen to you? Sure. So back in 2007, I was, you know, at the height of my youth and my career. Um, 
and I was hanging out with a couple of friends, and I was out in the Castro, and I ran into my childhood friends, these are people who were, you know, really, I was really close to back in high school, and, you know, our meeting was not positive, it actually turned that where they, you know, assaulted me verbally first, and then they physically assaulted me, um, my cause of blindness is retinal detachment, so I got kicked in the head so many times that my retina is detached. And so my um, my transition to blindness was very quick. You know, uh, I did have a couple of surgeries, but they were not fruitful. And so, just in a matter of just a handful of months, I went from being you know a sighted, independent person to being someone who was just afraid of the world, who didn't know where I belong. I had lost my identity. But most importantly, you know, one of the first things that I thought of myself as the blind person was that, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm ugly. Nobody's gonna want me, and I just I won't have any friends, and that came from not having access to figures, um, disabled figures at large. You know, um, when we look at people about, you know, talk about disabilities and people who are disabled, we only have about a handful who have made it into mainstream, and most of them, you know, um, they're not, are not current. You know, so I didn't have anyone who was my age who could say, hey, you know, I could be like that. So is it, you set out to be that person, or you eventually found other folks who who showed you that, hey, you know, <laughs> it's not over? It was a combination of both. You know, someone who really inspired me was um, Stanford University professor Susan Krieger. She's uh, lesbian and blind, and she was actually one of Stanford's first openly uh, out professor. Mm-hmm. And I came across her books in the library um, and, you know, I reached out to her. She was, you know, super welcoming, and she kind of became my mentor. And so um, definitely there was some of that. But I also felt that, you know, there was all these ways to get my message out, and I started really, you know, doing desk blogging and really using the web as a, as a portal to get my message out of, you know, just more inclusivity. Michelle Miao and John Zipper were speaking with Bello Cipriani. He's on the phone with us. He is this year's Grand Marshal for San Francisco Pride and also the author of Blind, a memoir. Uh, Bello is the very first out gay blind recipient uh, as far as the Grand Marshal Award goes for San Francisco Pride, which is huge. But at the same time, I think you said this earlier, the, or your comments had the sentiments along the lines of, it's kind of astonishing and shocking that you are the first here in 2015. But maybe that's a great segue to talk about, you know, the LGBTQ community's response to you as a disabled gay man. I mean, did you, I know that you have this wonderful, you know, attitude about going, moving forward in life, but did you feel supported by the community after, you know, immediately after, maybe years later? And I bet you, you probably feel supported now. Um, but what are your thoughts? I definitely feel supported now, and I think that, you know, um, I face discrimination almost on a daily basis, you know, and I know that sounds very jarring to hear, but even, you know, just um, this morning, I went out for coffee at a coffee shop, and, you know, I put a couple bills down for, um, you know, the, the barista for the tip, and he said, oh, no, you're blind, I can't take your money. <laughs> You know, and these things like this happen to me on a weekly basis, and it took a lot of time to realize that when people say these things to me, it's not out of malice or, you know, just to be mean. They do this out of ignorance, you know, and people get real offended when they hear that word, but ignorance is something that people, we all are ignorant to a level. There's things that I'm ignorant about, you know, I'm not a doctor, you know, I don't know medicine, I'm ignorant about medicine. 
And I think that a lot of this, that comes with education. And unfortunately, we are, you know, a society that, you know, really, you know, we're visual-centric and we, we learn by seeing things. And so, you know, I think that by making myself visible, I, you know, made more opportunities for other people. Um, and, you know, just to kind of wrap up this thought is that I feel that, you know, I feel supported by the community. I feel that the community has a lot of learning to do, but I feel that they're open to learning. I, I, I do too. I mean, I, I don't, I think that there are a lot of wrong uh, things that are happening in this country, in the world in general, right? There, you're right. There's so much more progress that we can make. Um, but, you know, for yourself and being able to point out what we can do to be better to our disabled community, what are so the, some of those things that we can, be, can do better at? Well, something that I'm very excited about, and this is what my column this week is about for the DAR, is, you know, uh, uh, Senator Mark Leno authored the Fair Education Act, and what that, that, that did was um, it added queer and disability studies to the California curriculum. And I think that it really starts with, you know, um, with our genera- with the younger generation, and even, you know, uh, I've, there's been a lot of efforts educating, going to schools with guide dogs, with the different blind communities, you know, showing, you know, uh, young people how to deal with disabilities, that often when I encounter people in public, I feel that the youth know how, know the etiquette. They know not to pet my guide dog. They know not, you know, not to yell at my face, you know, versus people who are absolutely plus who just didn't have that training or access to that education, you know, I just don't know how to deal with it. Do you think, uh, from, from your angle, I mean, do you think it would have been harder or easier if you had lost your sight, say, when you were in high school or something like that? You know, going through something like that is trauma. And yeah. trauma is difficult no matter what age it is. Mm-hmm. You know, people kind of set things up like, well, what's worse, losing an arm or losing a, a leg? And I'm like, you know, trauma is trauma. I don't, I wouldn't even put it, I wouldn't even go there. Well, and, you know, and, I think, well, and, and I, I do think, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I, 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 was, I, I think kind of what I was getting at was kind of like, what, would there have been more kind of support around you still, you know, in, at home with a family back then? Or... Uh, would that have been more of a challenge and would you have had more issues of discrimination because then, you know, the entire home life would have had to do that adapting? Well, you know, a lot of it is, has to do with the ADA, right? And so yeah. when you look at the ADA, this is the bill that gives people like me rights. And so the ADA was passed in 19, in the early 90s by, you know, by Bush actually passed it. And so, you know, the ADA was going to be 25 years old. So hypothetically, have I had I been born blind, I would have never had any rights until I was in junior high. Mm. And then even then, when the law was into place, it still took years for people to figure out that it was around and to adopt it. You know, and so I've been to places where, you know, I've been the first person with a disability to be there, and they've scrambled to become ADA, you know, know, uh, compatible. And so I think that it would have been challenging as a, as a youth just because the legislature wouldn't have been there. Bella, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to dis, uh, continue our discussion. You'll stay with us? Absolutely. <laughs> the Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for 
listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Swirl is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Originating from the gay epicenter of the universe, inclusive of everyone in our community. There's no way. Visit swirlcast.com for interviews, news, entertainment, and fun. That's swirlcast.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. It's Tuesday, May 19th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. That's right. Today we're speaking with two people who are being recognized by San Francisco Pride uh, for their work in the community. So Bello Cipriani is on the phone with us. He is the author of Blind, a memoir. He's also an activist and advocate for the disabled community. Uh, Bello, you know, I, I, I asked this before, but we went on break and I touched upon the LGBTQ's response um, to you as a disabled gay man. And not that like I'm trying to probe and, and be <laughs> like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't think that they're all that supportive. I mean, the people who left you blind, your childhood friends, were also members of the LGBTQ community. Um I, I just I just want you know I'm I guess what I'm trying to point out is that not every community is perfect, and I know that you know when you talk about the progress of the work that we need to do. I also think that there are members in this community who has, who have to recognize we're not all buff and six foot two with extreme abs. Exactly, um, and there's definitely a lot of that. I think that you know just. I think that the diversity model in this country is broken. You know, when people think of diversity, they think of a group of people with different skins of color. And, you know, uh, disability is hardly ever a factor. I mean, when you look at advertisements, look at what's out there. Have you ever really seen any major ad campaigns with people with disabilities? Yet we buy all the same things. You know, I have, you know, I use, you know, all the same brands that anyone else does, shoes, colognes, everything, but yet I'm not someone they advertise to. 
And I think some of this goes also bleeds into the gay community where, you know, again, not everyone is, you know, pretty, right, or could be a model, but uh, we come in different shapes and sizes, and that even includes disability as well. Well, I mean, look, in 2015, we have the first uh, gay blind person as a recipient for San Francisco Pride. San Francisco Pride has been around for 45 years. I'm pretty sure there have been some disabled people who should have been recognized by San Francisco Pride throughout the 45 years. I mean, how does that make you feel? I mean, I'm sure of it that you're absolutely thrilled to receive this award, but there's got to be some feeling behind that in, in that, you know, how did, how did the rest of all the ones who came before you get overlooked? It's definitely bittersweet, you know, and I did have a couple of days of like, oh my gosh, I'm the first one. And there was very, a few moments of sadness, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm an optimist, and so I, I figured that, you know, hey, you know, it could be better, but it's changing, you know, and there's places where they're not as inclusive. I think San Francisco is definitely, you know, cutting edge when it comes to that, and there's places where um, it may even take 20 years to get someone like me as a grand marshal to be recognized. In another aspect of, of your life post that that meeting, um, you've, I believe, written about just the the, uh, the experience of dating as a gay man. Um, so tell, I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, what was it like the first date you had? My first blind date? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. No, you know, um, you definitely, I had to pretty much, you know, navigate a new value system, you know, so everything that I used to enjoy or look for in a mate or, mm. you know, um, thought was attractive went out the window once I became blind, you know, and it's happened to me a couple of times where I meet guys and they're just so boring. Hmm. You know, they don't have anything important to say and I just lose interest and my friend's like, what's your problem? That guy was hot and I was like, well, he was boring, you know, <laughs> I, I need substance now. I need, you know, and so definitely things that didn't matter to me before matter to me now. Like for example, now I, kind of like when someone with a nice speaking voice, you know, because I'm going to be hearing it all day long, Aww. hopefully. And so, you know, that's important to me. And so definitely I I have a new value system when it comes to dating. And I think that, you know, it's, be- it's become a whole different person. I think that before when I was sighted, I was very into the GQ type guy versus now I'm all about the guy with the truck and the dog, you know, so. <laughs> um, I, you know, I can't, it, Pride is coming up, by the way, and lots of uh, states out there around the country, around the world, really, are celebrating Pride uh, from now until, I think, Palm Springs is in November, so <laughs> it's like throughout the year, but San Francisco's is coming up the end of June. Um, the Pride organization, when you become a Grand Marshal, you get to participate in the parade, and I don't, I'm sure of it that you're going to have an incredible time. A lot of people who come down the parade and wave, they just, everything changes that day. Everyone, it's like Christmas. Everyone is like super nice just for that one day. Um, <laughs> uh, <It's true. laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, you know, I, do you look forward to that? Is, is that something that just excites you that you're, you're ready for? I'm very ready, and I think this year, especially being you know part of the parade, you know I've put in some thought around my contingent. Um, um, I'm really excited. You know, I think that pride has always been you know for me a, a play, you know, a time for freedom, different types of freedom. You know, you could take that for whatever it means. Freedom means for yourself, but I remember being a kid, and my mom telling me that's what pride means. Pride means freedom, and freedom has 
you know, changed for me as I got older. You know, when I was a teenager, freedom for me was like running to pride, you know, in my parents' car without asking their permission. That was freedom. Now, as a, someone with a disability, freedom is being able to be acknowledged for who I am and knowing that, you know, that I am uh, respected as an equal member of my community. So do you get to, you mentioned uh, putting your contingent together. How much of that, I mean, do you choose who's with you? Do you do you get to choose the uh, <laughs> the awesome car you're riding in? How does that work? It, well, you, you, they give you an option of a car, or you could, you know, then opt out to bring your own stuff, but I decided to go with the convertible they offered me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could have 200 people march with you. And still, I mean, I, I, I teach at Holy Ames University, and the university has been super supportive of um, this honor, and a lot of the students, actually, my students are going to show up that day. Cool. And so what I was thinking is just, you know, how do I, I'm the first blind person, how do I include this into my team? And so the national symbol of blindness is the white cane, so I'm just asking anybody who wants to march with me to just wear a white shirt. I can't wait. And, and Bello, I am equally excited and happy for you that you've been chosen as a community grand marshal. It is an ultimate recognition from, again, San Francisco Pride being a 45-year-old organization. And you're right, you know, we at this at this celebration, we commemorate uh, our lives, the LGBTQI lives, and bringing it back to you personally and being gay, being disabled, and doing all this advocacy work. You blog, you write, you talk openly. Uh, do you get any responses from people, uh, disabled gay people around the world, who you share their stories with you? I really do. And, you know, that's kind of, as you know, um, as a journalist, you know, you don't make a lot of money, but my, my payoff for me is when I get these emails from people around the world. And, you know, I've been getting, you know, um, a lot of emails from places I never thought of even, even contact me or be, have access to my, my work. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's just amazing to get these, you know, emails from people who said, you know, I just became blind or a family member just lost their sight. I didn't know what was going to happen. And now that I see what you've become, it gives me great hope, you know. Um, and that's, really what I want. I want people to have an authentic perception of blindness. And, you know, I have the whole gamut of, you know, articles. I have some articles that are very positive and I have some articles that really deal with, you know, with the parts of disability that are very tough. I would assume you're also hearing from, you know, folks who are either, like you just said, you know, just became blind or, or someone in their family just became blind who are not gay. I mean, that you're, you're teaching them as well and, and giving them guidance and, and sort of a, a guide you know, definitely, and it was really bizarre to, you know, I've been getting a lot of, I've gotten invitations to go speak at certain very conservative churches, and I email them back, and I'm like, do you guys know that I'm gay? You guys should be want me this? Yeah, absolutely. Really? It's so bizarre to be in these places that, you know, in the South, that I just thought would never want me, but because, you know, they believed in my message, they hosted me, and flew me out there and paid for my, you know, my speaking fee and everything. And so I really feel that my my readership is actually more diverse than I thought. I initially thought, okay, I'm only going to attract, you know, you know, the gays, the liberals, the Democrats, and it's been quite the opposite where I've had a lot of, you know, um, Republicans and very conservative people, you know, support my work, which was very shocking for me. 
We have just a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you this question. The theme this year for San Francisco Pride is equality without exception, you know, which came out from uh, the situation that happy, happened through the Hobby Lobby case. And John and I have been having lots of discussion here on the show regarding religious freedom laws and just kind of, you know, this thought, this idea that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be excluded. We can't have equality if we're going to leave someone out. What does equality without exception mean to you? I believe in the universal design, you know, and what that means is making something from the start accessible to everybody. And that, you know, that doesn't just involve buildings, you know, from an architecture perspective, but also involves programs, you know, education, you know. Um, and so I think that we become a global economy, and I think people should really adopt a universal perception of anything they put together. You know, um, and so that's what I believe in. I believe in a universal design, something that when you put, you know, when you're planting something, you're thinking of everyone right at the beginning. That's awesome. You uh, you use some assistive technology, I assume. I mean, whether it's for the writing or, or other things. Um, I mean, has that? Have there been more offerings than that? Is that technology, you know, developing fast? Or is that some area where it would be great if, you know, individuals and companies put a bit more attention? You know, um, Apple has been one of the, you know, the best supporters of the blind community. They were the first really? to make all this adaptive technology um, as just part of their products. I could get any product, Apple product, off the shelf and it's accessible to me on day one. All I have to do is just activate Siri or VoiceOver. Mm-hmm. That was really the main purpose of those, you know, uh, tools. And so, thanks to Apple, there's been more more tools, more apps, more things that you know we could use. But, you know, definitely, you know, when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, I used to watch Knight Rider, you know, and I watched Star Wars and everything. And I never thought that someday I would actually have a conversation with my computer. You know, I could do things, and it does it. You know, and and that's why I work with text messages too. And so, definitely, you know, I wouldn't be able to write and and you know do what I do without adaptive technology. You know, I use a screen reader. I use different apps. I have a color identifier. I have, you know, um, and as even I've been blind for eight years, and eight years, that technology has changed tremendously. It's gotten smaller, more efficient, and cheaper. Sure. Just always nice. Do you want a Google driverless car? I, would <laughs> I do. <love> that. <laughs> I would love that. You know, actually, uh, the the person who they got to drive the first car was the uh, he's the CEO of the Blind Center in Silicon Valley, and I got to meet him. I was on a show with him. He just had a blast. And I was so happy for him. But I would love one. So I don't know if you can make that work. Um, I'm here. I'll, I'll call up Eric Schmidt. See That's right, John. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure if anyone could do it, it'll be John. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Bello, thank you so much for joining us here, and congratulations again on being Community Grand Marshal, uh, San Francisco Pride's Community Grand. Marshall. We absolutely recognize the work that you do. Thanks, guys. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. Don't go away. We have an incredible HIV AIDS activist who will be on the phone with us. You'll want to hear how amazing he is. So don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. 
It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. And that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, May 19th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And with us, because it is Tuesday, it is my favorite day of the week. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. Hey, Michelle. Hey, folks. We are continuing our conversation, or I should say our interviews, with people who have made a difference in LGBTQ people's lives and who are now being recognized by San Francisco Pride. Uh, our next guest is, yes, being honored by San Francisco Pride uh, as special award, by the way, for his work with the AIDS Housing Alliance of San Francisco. Let's welcome Brian Basinger to the show. Brian, welcome. Hey, thank you. I've been, I was telling John before we got you on that I've been waiting a, actually a really, really long time uh, to have you on the show. Oh, well. Yeah. The timing is working out for us today. <laughs> it is, so thank you. Um, so this year you're being recognized by San Francisco Pride. It's not the first uh, time. I know that you've received many uh, nominations in the past, but this year they are giving out a special award uh, for your work with the AIDS Housing Alliance. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what does this mean to you after so, you know, so many years in helping uh, HIV AIDS people you know, with housing here in the Bay Area? Do you feel that you know, it was perf it's perfect timing. Do you feel that it should have come earlier, come sooner? Um, I think that the, the timing is absolutely perfect. Um, you know, we serve the HIV community, but we also serve the LGBT community, folks who are HIV negative um, as well. And um, we have a really the culmination of years and years and years of work um, that, uh, that all seems to be coming together this year, and so being recognized as, as one of the Grand Marshals of Pride just is really a capstone for me. Um, you know, we just, this month we just launched the world's first LGBT-focused permanent rental subsidy program for senior and disabled folks. 
Um, and we have, in July, we'll be launching the first permanent supportive housing program for chronically homeless people with HIV and AIDS and all kinds of other things that are happening just this summer. And so being um, uh, Grand Marshal is it's, I just can't believe it. The timing is impeccable. Can you give us a sense of what is the need? What are some of the numbers of folks who, who need your services, who are using your services? Let, let people get a sense of just how big of a, a cohort this is. Well, um, you know, the homeless point in time count and survey, which is, you know, all jurisdictions are required to survey their homeless population as part of receiving federal funding. And um, the last one showed that 29% of the city's homeless population um, is LGBTQ identified. Um, and that compares to just 0.88% of the general population. So we are um, profoundly and substantially um, disproportionately impacted by homelessness and housing instability. And, you know, 10% of the homeless population in San Francisco has full-blown AIDS, and, and about 20% of the homeless population is HIV positive. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, you know, we're playing catch-up um, in terms of investing in these type of safety net services for our community. You know, by necessity, we've had to invest our resources in just securing basic rights. Um, and um, so it's just the arc of maturity of our of our community that we haven't really built out an infrastructure to help help people who are the most vulnerable. And there's also a mythology um, in the non-LGBT world about who and what LGBT people are, and they have not historically seen us as part of the community that they serve. And so we're just kind of being left out in the cold, literally and figuratively. Uh, there's so many questions I now want to ask you, and obviously I want to dive into the housing situation here in San Francisco and how that also affects the work that uh, you do. I mean, it was I found this uh, article here, uh, Beyond Cron did back in 2005, that it was in 2003 you felt that God spoke to you in a dream that you must organize housing for people with AIDS. What was the uh, what was that like? I mean, let's talk about that moment in your life, right? And and that dream and kind of what the housing situation was like in San Francisco and the HIV/AIDS um, uh, community and what that was like. Well, it was. I would not uh, assign a name to um, whatever that thing was, but it really did happen. I was on a drug at the time called Sostiva. Um, it's an HIV medication, and it's famous for giving people very vivid dreams. Unfortunately, most people have terrible nightmares on it, um, but I just had the best dreams in the world. And um, um, uh, at nine o'clock in the morning on December thirteenth of two December fifteenth of two thousand and three, um, I had this dream that said, "You must organize housing for people with AIDS," and it was a big booming voice, and it woke me up. Um, and I stumbled into the kitchen and put on the teapot for my coffee, and before the kettle even boiled, I got a call from a manager um, in the building where my boyfriend lived, and he said, Brian, we've got these two units opening up, and you people are so wonderful, we want to rent those units out to people with AIDS who have a rental subsidy. 
And so before he even finished his sentence, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what the dream was about. And um, um, years ago, I was the first employee at Positive Resource before we merged with AIDS Benefits Counselors. And so um, we did work referrals. And so I sat there and I was just dumbfounded. I said, work referrals, housing referrals, I know how to do this. And so um, I called up my friend Matthew Bajaco at the BAR and I said, hey, Matthew, I think this is my new thing. And he goes, yeah, I'll write a story. He goes, but you can't do it at your kitchen table, get an office. And I called Tommy Avacoli Mecca at the Housing Rights Committee and I said, Tommy, I think this is my new thing. He goes, oh, you can have an office down here. And so the dream happened at 9 a.m. By noon of that day, I had the name, the program model, I had a donated office space for a year, I had an article in the Bay Area Reporter and an article in the Chronicle. And it's just been going like that ever since. So what were some of the first things that you had to uh, bring together to actually you know, try to make a difference. I mean, was it, was it the funding? Was it changing landlords, uh, you know, attitudes? Was it, uh, uh, you know, social services connections? I mean, I assume all of those were challenges. We started with a folding table and I bought two used telephones from Craigslist with my, with a hundred dollars from my disability check. Um, and we started with providing tenants rights counseling, right. And just learning, um, you know, all the things that we had learned in our own um, search for housing and also our own, you know, housing problems. I was um, being Alice Act evicted from the home that I'd lived in for 40% of my life at the time. And so as part of learning how to defend myself in that I had learned a thing or two. Um, and then also um, my boyfriend, um, uh, was, had sat 10 years on a wait list for rental subsidy, and he had finally gotten his rental subsidy, and it took us six months to find a landlord who would be willing to rent to him. Um, and we had learned a lot about what not to do when you're a poor person trying to get someone to accept a rental subsidy. And so there were lots of tips and tricks that we had learned about, you know, how what landlords to approach, how to approach them, you know, how to navigate and negotiate that conversation. And so we were just sharing, you know, what we had learned and we had kind of developed an expertise about it. And um, um, just, you know, our very first thing was trying to match um, landlords willing to accept a rental subsidy with people with AIDS who had a rental subsidy and really making making it so that they didn't have to go what we went through because it was pretty bad. Um, and then we just built from there. Michelle Miao and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is uh, here with us. And we're on the phone with Brian Basinger. He is with the AIDS Housing Alliance of San Francisco, also a recipient of Grand Marshal of this year's San Francisco Pride. Um, Brian, you brought up the Ellis uh, Act, and I, I told you this over email. I mean, I, the hot button right now, the topic that a lot of people are talking about is the fact that, you know, you've got these developers now in the San Francisco Bay Area who are constructing these immaculate, luxurious uh, condos, you know, for the changing financial landscape of San Francisco, uh, thus pushing out the most vulnerable. And that, of course, includes the HIV AIDS community. I wonder, you know, how does that impact the work that you do? Oh, it makes it 
profoundly more difficult, substantially more difficult. Um, you know, there's been an AIDS housing crisis, you know, since we started, since before we started, and and that's one of the, you know, reasons for our being. Um, I think what's changed is that the the housing crisis that was impacting low income people, seniors, disabled folks, and and the most vulnerable. Um, you know, we were the canaries in the coal mine, and we started trying to say, hey, everybody, look what's happening, look what's happening. And what's happened now is that middle-class people um, are just as vulnerable. And the majority of San Franciscans now um, are experiencing the kind of stress and anxiety that more marginalized groups have been experiencing for well over a decade. And so it's impacting all of us now. And that's a really great opportunity because when the majority of people understand that something is desperately and deeply wrong and flawed, that's where we have the most powerful to create positive change. Are you getting any help uh, or any additional help in this kind of housing, this time of housing crisis from the city? I mean, in, in the in Mayor Lee's initiatives to you know expand or rehab uh, development, uh, is he dealing? You know, is his office dealing directly with you guys on, on any of this? We have always received um, um, support from the city, and I've actually been kind of surprised. And I think some of my peers and other agencies. Um, are somewhat surprised too because we have been, you know, a vocal voice um, um, for people with HIV and AIDS and you know, homeless LGBT people, and we've moved at least one piece of legislation every single year, and and and, and we've been controversial um, only in the eyes of we do we're doing the right thing and we're removing barriers that lead to homelessness to our community, and sometimes, you know, some people who are making money off of these situations that do lead to homelessness for folks. You know, some of my peers and other agencies are like, oh, we can't touch that, it's controversial. And I think that we haven't backed off. We have done the right thing, we've been effective at it. Um, and um, instead of, you know, people trying to punish us um, um, with our funding, you know, our budget keeps doubling in size almost every year. And, um, we were 10 months old when we passed our first piece of legislation called No Fast Pass to Eviction. And we passed it unanimously at the Board of Supervisors. Um, and it was one of the most profound pieces of tenants' rights legislation since um, rent control. Wow. Um, and um, uh, Mayor Gavin Newsom at the time, after... Um, we won at the Board of Supervisors. His liaison came up, shook my hand, and said, the mayor's got some money for you. And that was our first funding. Um, and it's, you know, um, now we're, um, you know, things are moving wide along. Moving along, moving along. Brian, I know that you are uh, working drop-in hours over there at the AIDS Alliance, um, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. However, i got to take a break right now. I'd love to keep you on, but if you need to go, feelings will not be hurt. I know we will meet soon. Do you want to stick around with us? Or I do you need stick to stick around, yes, we're good. Oh, okay, awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break, mm -hmm. and we, when we come back, let's focus on the, the, goods, the good side of, you know, what Brian's work has done for us. So we'll be right back.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Swirl is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Originating from the gay epicenter of the universe. Inclusive of everyone in our community. There's no way. Visit Swirlcast.com for interviews, news, entertainment, and fun. That's Swirlcast.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And on the phone is Brian Basinger. He is with the AIDS Housing Alliance of San Francisco. He's being recognized this year by San Francisco Pride as a community grand marshal for the work that he has done. Brian, I I think you're right. I think it is perfect timing to give you this award and give recognition for the work that you have done. Um, I think John had asked earlier, you know, kind of the impact of the work that that you do do in in today's time. Um, But when we talk about in the HIV AIDS community, so much has changed that there's this myth, right, that uh, the resources that we once had for HIV AIDS, uh, the HIV AIDS community, you know, we don't, we don't re- they don't really need those resources anymore. They're, they're living longer, Michelle. They're fine. Uh, that obviously is a big fat uh, myth in a, in a lot of ways. Our community is still affected by AIDS HIV. Um, yes. I mean, we have you know, 15,000 plus people um, infected with HIV and AIDS in San Francisco, and we're still getting you know several hundred infections a year um, that are local, as well as you know, people who are um, uh, re- you know getting HIV in other areas, and then you know fleeing to San Francisco to seek sanctuary from policies. Um, and envir- you know, stigmatizing environments and, and really hostile places where they come from. Um, and that's not going to go away. Um, also, you know, one of the, this month, we launched a senior disabled rental subsidy program to prevent evictions because we've uh, 
um, estimated up to 1,200 seniors with HIV and AIDS are going to be losing their employer-sponsored disability income when they hit retirement age, and they're going to be transitioning on to regular retirement income that in many cases they haven't paid into for decades, and so there's going to be this profound and substantial loss of income, um, which, um, you know, the current projections are they're going to become homeless, um, you know, as seniors, and so we, you know, we still need to invest not just in maintaining the existing um, safety net, but actually expanding the safety net to um, make sure that these folks don't lose their homes, you know, in in their advanced years. Tell us um, a success story or two of, of folks who have been helped by your work. Oh, I have thousands of them. I bet you do. Um, and that's what keeps me going. Um, I always say at Schindler's List, I can't focus on the people that were unable to help because the need is so big, but really just get sustained by those everyday successes um, where we profoundly impact people's lives. Um, currently, you know, with our new senior disabled Program. Our first person that we were able to um, help was a uh, is a 73 year old transgender Navy veteran whose 86 year old spouse passed away, and without that spouse's they were partners they were not legally married, and so um, she did not have access to his income after he passed away, and she was living on seven hundred and twenty dollars a month which was less than the rent at the in the building that they had lived in for 22 years. And so we were able to keep her um, in her place while we were waiting to see if we got the money for our subsidy program, and we were successful at it. And she was the first person that we enrolled in our program, and just very dignified and elegant and kind and sweet. Um, and always had a happy face, but as soon as I gave her the word that she was in the that she was qualified, she broke down and started sobbing. And she was, Brian, you saved my life. She goes, you don't understand. I was going to kill myself. Mm. Wow. Um, and so, um, you know, being able to to have that kind of impact in people's lives, and also to have an idea to say, oh my God, I think if we just did it like this, I think we can make a difference. And to, you know, fight for years. It took me about three years to really um, force the city to start paying attention to the needs of LGBT people. And it wasn't always a welcoming environment. I mean, I really got black eyes and I got elbowed and I got knocked around and I had to just stay in the fight. And to finally win after that much, you know, effort and uh, to really see that it actually worked and to have a dream and to have a vision and to be successful at it is just amazing. Brian, congratulations again. I am so thrilled and so excited and so happy that you're receiving, you know, this recognition. Um, I was one of those people who threw your name in the hat. We've never met, but I know of you through your work. Uh, and it just means so much to me. Last question for you. I mean, the future is near in a sense. You know, we've we've had so much progress as far as LGBT rights in, in, in such a short amount of time. What does the future look like for you? What, what would you like to say to, you know, future activists who might be doing the same kind of work you're doing today? Well, I think that um, um, the next phase in the movement for LGBT 
to equality is about um, economic justice and and really looking at the needs of poverty in our community. And I'll contextualize that, that um, when I was 17 years old, I co-founded the nation's first LGBT youth group um, in 1983 in Dallas, Texas. And there was so much resistance to it. Everybody was afraid of it. Um, so we were quite ahead of the curve. Um, you know, 20 years ago this year, um, I created the Freedom to Marry float um, in Pride, and I won Best Float in Pride that year, by the way. And um, I got to work for Lambda Legal Defense um, as the public information officer for the Hawaii Gay Marriage Trial. So I was really very early on in the marriage movement, and this is at the time when the Human Rights Campaign and other national organizations were calling me up and being very aggressive and you know, at nine o'clock at night telling me I could not do this work, right? Um, and then now doing, you know, this LGBT poverty work. Um, uh, you know, my, my history is always being on the front end of what becomes, you know, part of the national agenda. And if my, if my history stays true, and if I'm this thing that I care just as much as I cared about LGBT youth and just as much as I cared about marriage equality, this is where I'm at now, and so maybe um, our future really is reaching back and helping the most vulnerable among us to have, you know, safety and dignity and um, quality of life. Brian, you are so awesome and so amazing. Thank you so much again. Uh, I'll let you go back to work. You have important stuff to do, and uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Thanks so awesome. much, Brian. Thank you for having me. I'll see you at Pride. You got it. Bye. Oh, people like Brian and Bello just inspire me, you know, to keep going. Because sometimes, like, I woke up this morning and I was like, it's really hard to be gay. I think that there's a Sesame Street song somewhere that's, like, really hard to be something. Well, my blank or my ex is, it's really hard to be gay. Okay. Take I, that somewhere. Well, I, I say that because... You wake up every day, you read stories, and I'm I'm living the time where it's not perfect. I lived the time when it was horrible, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or at least be able to read or see or, or understand the history of the LGBT equality movement. And then, you know, today, uh, constantly, whether it's myself or it's someone I know or, or something I'm reading, someone's being discriminated against or harassed or bullied and do and we have to do so much work, not only to change the public um, feeling or, you know, about LGBTQ people, but also we have to work for laws to protect us. We have to work. I mean, it, sometimes it, it, at the end of the day, you just get really tired, you know? Well, and it is inspiring. Uh, just the two people we talked with today, one of whom, if you would, and I, I don't mean this at all as a negative thing, but was kind of an accidental activist. You know, mm-hmm. certainly growing up, he did not, did not plan to become a, a a blind advocate for LGBT folks. Right. Um, and then uh, Brian, as he just noted at the end there, he's been doing this all his life. You yeah. Know? An LGBT yeah. youth group in Texas. Ah. Yeah. Um, so... But it, it, that, that is inspiring because well, that, that shows yeah. kind of multiple ways of people to get involved. Right. In and you and I are, you know, by default in that we are somewhat information nerds. We like to talk mm-hmm. to people and interview them. And so, you know, telling LGBTQ stories also gives exposure, 
right, to everyone else out there. And so I really thank everyone on the, you know, here, the Progressive Voices Network. I, I thank the listeners of Progressive Voices Network and people who are just, you know, listening to this stuff and making a difference in their community really means a lot to, to myself and to John, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, time is running out. I have just a few seconds here left. Thank you again. We will be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. All of our shows on Tuesdays are also posted at commonwealthclub.org. John will be back next Tuesday. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com and uh, follow us. Actually, I'll be back next Monday, won't I? Oh, next Monday. That's right. I'm so sorry. Duh. Thanks, John. Next Monday is Andrew Hodges, and it's a it's a uh, Alan Turing special. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be fascinating. <laughs> See you guys tomorrow. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.